If you have your Bibles, I'm going to ask you, or you have your apps, you can turn to the book of Exodus. Exodus, we're going to be in chapters 3 through 7 today. For those of you I don't know, I'm really glad that you're here today. All of you, I'm glad all of you are here today. My name is Todd, and uh, thank you guys for being here in the room. Thanks for those of you who are joining us online. I, I don't know about you, I realize there's some controversy around it, but uh, I love watching the Winter Olympics. And I uh, always, how many of you like the skiing events, all right? Forget the controversy just, just for just a second, but you like the skiing events, right? Yes, yeah, so I love the skiing events. But every time I watch these folks ski, especially those downhill, those alpine, I, I get a little bit like of something in my stomach that turns, all right? Any of you guys with me on that? Like, you're like, what in the world, these guys? And, and I, I realize it's been, it's been, like, kind of ridiculous what they've been doing and, and, and that sort of thing. So, uh, but I love watching these guys. But I think the reason that I get a little bit of something, my stomach kind of turns a little bit, is snow skiing is not my thing at all. How many of you, for you, is snow skiing not your thing? Raise your hand. We keep them up for a second. We grew up in the south, and you ski on water, right? Am I right? All right, yeah. Some of you up in the north are like, nope, mm -mm, nope, that's not the way it goes. Uh, and I grew up in the south, and we ski on water. And so uh, one year when we were starting our church in New York City, we took kind of the core group, which was made up of a couple staff and uh, some of our would-be elders and some interns up to Killington, Vermont. Now, I had skied twice in my life, twice two times at Scaly Mountain in Georgia. All right, so anyway, so I got up on the ski lift and it was the first day that they were making snow. And it was the first day and it was not really like snow, it was really like ice. And there was something that I could not do. I could not turn right. I couldn't turn right. I could go left, I could go straight. That's dangerous to go just straight. I could turn left, but I could not turn right. And I, it took everything in me to get down the mountain the first time. And I got down the mountain, and I'm like, doggone it, I'm trying this again. And I got back up on the lift, and I went back up. And I went down. I couldn't go right, so I would go left, and I would just kind of like move like this with my skis awkward, awkwardly over to the right. And then I'd go left again and stop and move back over to the right. And, and it was just on and off. And finally, I just started going straight downhill, and I ran hard into a snowboarder. And I felt like, man, I'm gonna, I, they're not going to carry me off. They're going to carry someone else off. So I was near the top of the mountain on my second time, took the skis off, threw them over my shoulder with poles, and I walked down the mountain. And it was one of the most embarrassing moments of my life. Have you ever been there? The most embarrassing moment of your life was something that you couldn't do. You just say, I can't do this. I can't do this. Microeconomics in college was very similar, too. So anyway, that's a whole other story. But I remember saying throughout my life, man, I can't do this a couple times, quite a few times. And I don't know about you, those times are frustrating for us, aren't they? Those can't, I can't do this. I can't get it. I can't go right. I can't do this. I can't figure this out. I can't get through this class. I can't learn that new language. And I got to be honest with you, those things that I've just talked about are all relatively minor, although I think it was a good thing that I walked down the mountain that day because I might not be here today if I hadn't. Uh, but 
Here's the problem, is when our can'ts, our I can't leads us to I won't. You see, we have things in our life that we come up against that we say, I can't do this. And it's when those things that we can't do becomes I won't do. And it has something to do with something that God has called us to do, whether it's a huge, massive thing or something really small and seemingly insignificant. Our struggle comes and our problem comes when we are faced with those things that God asks us to do or God puts in front of us or God puts in our path and we make our can'ts or I won't. I don't know if you've ever been there before, but there's a man by the name of Moses. We're in this series called Unfit. Some of you thought it was a whole series on New Year's and eating healthy and exercising. It's not. It's on the life of Moses. One of the people who did one of the most remarkable things in all of human history. And I love the story of Moses because he has so many things that are up against him. And God uses them anyway. He was so incredibly highly unlikely to be used and unfit to be used by God. But God used him anyway. And today what we're going to be working through is that we have to move beyond admitting our weaknesses and understanding our limitations and realizing that when we have those things in our life, when God asks us to do or puts in front of us, that we have to push beyond I can't and realize that God can so that we will. That's what we have to realize. When God puts those things in front of us, we need to be people that will say, yes, God, I will, I will. Not because I can or can't, but because God can. We're going to dive into this story of Moses, kind of the second uh, phase of this or the second in this series, but we're actually two-thirds into Moses' life here as we take a look at some different passages in Exodus 3 through uh, Exodus chapter 7. Um, before we dive in, I, I just want to pray and ask God to lead us and guide us this morning. So would you join me in a word of prayer? Father, I know that there's a lot of people that came into this place, and I came into this place, and we came into this place with a lot on our shoulders, maybe in our past or our present, or even right in front of us in our future, that we say, I can't. And Father, in the strong name of Jesus, in the strong name of Jesus, and by the power of your Holy Spirit, we just give that to you today. And we ask that you would lead us and that you would guide us as we study Moses and we study the life of this one who did an amazing thing and did amazing things for you. Help us to put ourselves in his shoes and realize that when we're up against that point when we say that we can't, that's when you're about ready to use us in the most amazing way. And Father, I pray that you would lead us and be with us right now. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. Amen. The last time we saw Moses, we left him off at Exodus at the end of Exodus chapter 2, and he was roughly 40 years old. He had grown up there uh, in the Pharaoh's house, and he had grown up as the prince of Egypt, as he is often called. And this prince of Egypt 
saw a Hebrew man who was being beaten, and he killed this, uh, he killed this Egyptian and hit him in the sand and didn't realize that he got found out. And so now he's on the run. Now Pharaoh, the one that had loved him and had just absolutely adored him and kind of set him up for success, if you will, is chasing after him. And Moses finds himself out in the wilderness. He went from the palace to the wilderness. And he's 40 years old, and I want you to hear that he spent 40 years in the desert. He spent 40 years in the desert because of one act, one thing that he did. In a moment of time when he let himself get out of control, it cost him 40 years. Here's the, here's the dark side. Here's the other side of the coin of Moses' life that you and I can, can learn from is that we can do things in our lives that while God still may use us, while we still are going to heaven if we've accepted him as our Savior, while we still are his children, it may cost us years of our lives. So there's this 40-year almost gap in his life. You don't have to raise your hand on this one, but have you ever done something and it caused a gap in your life, maybe in your career or with your family or in your community. Moses did. He's got this gap, kind of this missing chapters of his life. And he, you know, just, he lived, you know, kind of can break it up into three sections of 40 years. And so when we turn the page and come to chapter 3, we find Moses at the kind of at the beginning of the last third of his life, he's 80 years old. He spent 40 years in the desert. He's gotten married. He works for his father-in-law, Jethro. Any of you have a father-in-law named Jethro? Anyway, that'd be pretty cool, I think. Anyway, so Jethro, and Jethro comes back into the story. We're going to see that here in a few weeks. But he's a shepherd, and he's out in the middle of the desert, and he's leading his sheep, and he leads them up to this mount by the, mountain by the name of Mount Horeb. And when he's on the mountain, on Mount Horeb, we know the scene, because we probably have all seen Charlton Heston once again, and we know that there's a burning bush, and he approaches the burning bush, wouldn't you? Approach the burning bush? I, I would. I'd be interested, right? I mean, especially us guys, we kind of like fire, right? So anyway, I would approach the burning bush. I'd see if it needs a little more gasoline, right? Because obviously somebody's doing a burn today. And he approaches the bush, and he hears a voice, and it's the voice of God, and the voice of God says, stop right there. Don't come any closer. And the voice of God appears, and the voice of God says to Moses, I'm sending you. To Pharaoh, I'm sending you to Pharaoh. Bring my people out. Bring the Israelites out of Egypt. This is a man who had just 40 years earlier killed someone, spends 40 years in the desert. He's a shepherd. He's working for his father-in-law. I think we could say that maybe things aren't going real well for him. And God says, I'm going to send you back to Egypt, to the king. And you're going to instruct him to let my people go. Three points this morning that I want to make about Moses' life. Three points this morning as we look at Exodus chapter 3. Moses, first and foremost, was reluctant to obey God because he was insecure about his abilities. 
Last week, I asked all of you to raise your hand if you um, have, you know, in, in your life, uh, if you uh, have anything that you felt, you know, weak about, if you had any uh, weaknesses in your life. How many of you have at least one thing that you're insecure uh, about? Just raise your hand. It's church. You can be honest. Look around, all right? We're all in good company. <laughs> Moses was reluctant to obey God because he was insecure about his abilities. God asked him to go to Pharaoh. Look what Moses says in Exodus 3, 11, chapter 3, verse 11. He says, but Moses said to God, who am I? Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children out of Israel, or bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? But I don't suspect that's the way he said it. I think probably the way he said it was, God, who who am I? Are you kidding me? Who who am I to be the one that goes to the king who's looking to kill me? To let my people who really are my people but aren't my people because I grew up as an Egyptian, but I know I'm Jewish and I don't quite understand that still yet. Who am I? And we see the first insecurity in Moses' life appear. We see it bubble up when he's talking to God. Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children out of Egypt? Steve Furtick, a pastor in Charlotte, says the reason that we struggle with insecurity is because we compare our behind the scenes with everyone else's highlight reel. (laughs) That's true, isn't it? That's true. I do it all the time with golf. (laughs) I watch tournaments on TV, and I go out there and think I can be the same. And several of you know that I'm not. See, when we give God the I can't excuse, we're essentially being dismissive to God's calling on our life, and we're being disobedient to his instruction right now. We're being dismissive, and we're being disobedient to God. We far too often allow our I can'ts lead us to inaction. Exodus 3, verse 12 says, God said this, but I, listen, church, I want you to hear this. I will be with you. Moses says, who am I? Who am I to go back to the king? God says, I will be with you. I love how God answers him here. He says, I will be with you. When when Moses says, who am I? Um, You know, God says, uh, he doesn't even answer him. He says, I will be with you. He just kind of breezes right past Moses' first, by the way, objection. He he is asking, who am I? Essentially saying, I'm not equipped or I'm ill-equipped or I'm not the one who should be doing this. How many times do we do that in our lives? Don't we? Who am I? Who am I to go to that friend who's struggling because COVID has been killing them and literally killing some friends and family members and check in and see how they're doing? It's not always about leading two and a half to three million people out of bondage. It could be the small thing. Who am I to give that person some money because I know that they're struggling? Who am I to 
to have that conversation with someone who's going through a relationship breakup, and it has been devastating. Who am I? God doesn't answer that. He says, I will be with you. And we're going to find out why that's better in a few minutes. How many of us, when Ben or Justin say, man, I'd love to have you serve in kids' ministry. I'd love to have you serve in Island Kids or in our student ministry. How many times do we say, who am I? I'm not going to connect with teenagers. I've said that all my life. I have two in my house right now. <laughs> he said, I will be with you. I will be with you. And this shall be the sign for you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you'll serve God on this mountain. Now, I would imagine that um, God probably at some point in time, and we've just seen one objection that Moses gives, but I would imagine that at some point in time, God might have said, Moses, you know what? You're right, man. You've been in the desert for 40 years. Um, you stink of sheep. I need someone who can look good and smell good and present themselves well to go to the king. You know what? You're right. Who are you? <laughs> but God didn't, did he? God didn't. He didn't go there at all. He didn't pile on Moses. He just said, I will be with you. And there's this reluctance that Moses has that if I'm honest with you, I would have the same. And Moses said to God in Exodus 3.13, if I come to the people of Israel and say to them, the God of your fathers, I think it's interesting that he says, the God of your fathers, because he grew up, remember, in an Egyptian environment, but he knew he was Jewish and he served the God of Israel. But he says, if I come to the people of Israel and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, what is his name? What shall I say to them? You see, first Moses says, who am I? Now he's saying to God, who are you? Who are you? Who do I say that you are? But what this does is this reveals in Moses another insecurity, and that's the crowd. <laughs> wow, how often do we let people around us, or we let the crowd determine what we are or are not going to do for God when he asks us to do it? We let the crowd decide so often, don't we? And what will, my, what will my parents think about that? What will my friends think about that, students? What will they say if, I'm, if I interact with that person? Man, I'll, I'll be ostracized. I'll be written out of the will if I, if I do that thing for God. If I bring that up, if I help solve that problem in my family. Moses reveals here that he's going, God, what do I tell these people? What do I tell them? He was afraid of what the crowd would say in his comment or in his question of who are you. He has an insecurity about what others would think. I, I just want to ask you this. You don't have to answer this out loud, just you and God, um, because I've, I've had to answer this in some many, many instances in a difficult way. How many times have I said I won't? because of the crowd. How many times have I said, I'm not going to do that because I don't want to face the embarrassment 
I don't want to face the embarrassment. I mean, I'll take my skis off and throw them over my shoulder and walk down the mountain because that's a lot better than the alternative. We do it with God, don't we? We let the crowd influence what we're going to do for him. And then the third voice of reluctance in Exodus 4 Verse 1, now before that, in the last part of chapter 3, we see God giving Moses very specific instructions on what to say to his fellow Israelites. He's very conclusive, uh, he's very uh, specific, and he's also very understanding of Moses for being reluctant. But this is what Moses said in uh, verse 1 of chapter 4. Moses answered, and he said, but behold, they will not believe me or listen to my voice, for they will say, the Lord did not appear to you, and I think the way this should be written, or the way that we should say it, excuse me, not the way it should be written, it was written perfectly, it's by God, I want to clear that up real quick, all right, the way that we should say this is, what do I say, or, or what will happen when they say, the Lord did not appear to you, <laughs> and you and I go through self-doubt spiritually, don't we, sometimes, we doubt ourselves spiritually. We may have these influences from the outside, and then all of a sudden we doubt ourselves spiritually, and we say to God, I'm not going to do what you say that you want me to do. I can't do that, and I won't do that because I'm not spiritually good enough. Moses had killed a man, hit him in the desert, was being chased by Pharaoh, and I understand why he is saying, God, they're going to question why I'm the one speaking on your behalf. I've questioned that thousands of times, thousands of times. Once again, God's understanding. He gives Moses a tool to completely convince the Israelites. He tells them to throw a shepherd's staff on the ground, and it'll turn into a snake to prove that he was the one that saw God. That'll show them, right? And Moses is like, what if it doesn't? And he said, stick your arm down in your coat and it'll, you'll have leprosy. Oh, man, it's kind of gross, but maybe that'll convince them that I saw God. He gives us tools and we continually come back to him and say, I can't, I can't, I can't, I won't, I won't, I won't. And then we get to what is the real problem in Moses' life in Exodus 4, verse 10. I want you to check this out. But Moses said to the Lord, Oh, my Lord, I am not eloquent, either in the past or since you have spoken to your servant, but I am slow of speech and the tongue. And so now Moses gets really specific with God and he starts listing his weaknesses. He starts making a list of the I can'ts. Because at this point in time, Moses is not yet convinced that God is much greater than his weaknesses. He's much greater than his insecurity. He's much greater than his can't. And so all of a sudden, he presents God with a list. And the list makes sense, right? It's a list of, I'm not eloquent. I can't speak well. There's three kind of generally different thoughts from theologians in terms of why Moses might have said this, it could have been because he didn't speak Hebrew very well, because he was raised there in an Egyptian home. 
And so it could be that he just under, didn't understand the language very well. Secondly, it could be because he wasn't quick on his feet. He wasn't quick-witted. He would not have been on the debate team probably, right, on his own. Or it could be that he literally had a speech impediment. And I kind of think that it probably was a combination of all those things that led Moses to say, I can't. My question to you today is, is what's the thing that you always say to God? I can't. I can't. I can't. Because it wouldn't surprise me if that's the very thing that he asks you to do because he wants in using you to accomplish his will in using you to expand his kingdom he wants to show you how amazing and powerful he is in and through you and so Moses says I can't and here's why and God's response is so consistent he essentially says to Moses I'm the one that gave you your mouth just go Go and help. And then Moses, I think, finally gets really honest with God in verse 13. This is probably where I would have started. He said, oh, Lord, please send someone else. <laughs> I love that. You remember when you were in lower school and it's like the fifth or sixth grade, and that you're involved in something and the teacher or the, the, you know, the principal or headmaster or whatever head of school asks people to speak and no one raises their hand. And then all of a sudden they pick. I hated that moment. Did you not hate that moment in school when they chose who was going to get up in front of the class or the whole school because no one would raise their hand? You're thinking, please let her raise her hand. Let him raise her, you know, his hand. I don't want to do this. Please send someone else. He gets really honest with God. And God gets for a moment angry, but he doesn't, his anger doesn't last long because God provides for Moses a mouthpiece, doesn't he? And Aaron, his brother. And Aaron, his brother. Exodus 5, verse 1. Afterwards, Moses and Aaron, they went and they looked, they went to Pharaoh and they said, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, let my people go, that they may hold a feast to me in the wilderness. And it reminds me of Paul, the Apostle Paul, when he's writing to the church in Corinth in 2 Corinthians. And I want you to hear this this morning. Some of you may need to take this passage home. It's 2 Corinthians 12, 8 through 10. And he is writing to the church in Corinth, and he's telling them how there's this thing in his life that just continues to come back, and it's like just, a, it's just all the time. And he says, three times, listen to this, three times I pled with the Lord about this, that it should leave me, this thing that is bothering him. But God said to him, this is in verse 9, my grace is, I want you to say that next word with me, sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in, what's that next word? Weakness. There it is right there. And he says, therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weakness so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then I am content with the weaknesses and the insults and the hardships and the persecutions and the calamities. And he had them in droves, especially compared to our complaints. They usually have to do with comfort and convenience, 
let's face it, right? I mean, that's, that's my story. Maybe it's not yours. He says, for when I'm weak, then I'm strong. For when I'm weak, then I'm strong. See, when we say, I can't, God says, I can. When we say, I can't, God says, I can. Second point, don't worry. The last two are really quick. They're not as long as the first one. Okay, all right. Moses blamed God when the task seemed too big for him to handle. He blamed God. When the task seemed too big, not only did he, you know, tell God all the reasons that he can't, but he blames God. Exodus 5, we're going to jump over to Exodus 5, 22 through 23. Then Moses turned to the Lord and said, oh, Lord, why have you done evil to these people? Let me just catch you up real quick. All the plagues have happened at this point in time. Terrible things have happened. The Pharaoh answers Moses and Aaron by inflicting more punishment on the children of Israel, on the nation of Israel. The slavery gets worse. And he says, why have you done evil to my people? Why did you ever send me? For since I came to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he's done evil to this people. And you have not delivered your people at all. I don't know about you, I've been there before. And I'm like, God... You haven't shown up. And at this point in time, I'm not even saying yet. I'm just saying you haven't shown up. You haven't delivered. Moses finds himself in this position of blaming God for the whole thing, for all of it. Why'd you send me? Why haven't you delivered? Why have you allowed Pharaoh to continue and make worse the punishment of these people? So Moses is asking why. And I want you to hear today when you and I, when we say why, God says trust. And I just want to pause for a moment and say this to some of you. I'm saying it to me. I'm saying it to maybe all of us. But maybe some of you need to hear this. You may be in that waiting period where you're waiting on God to deliver. Like maybe you have done the thing that God has asked you to do. And there's still this gap. There's still this like, what is going to happen? Why have you allowed this to happen? Why did you use me to to cause this to happen, God? I want to just encourage you to continue to trust. To continue to trust. In the silence, trust me completely, I think is what God says. Trust me completely completely. The thing that God has in front of you, it may not be easy. The great things that we do for God usually aren't. The good things that we do for God usually aren't. (laughs) Trust him. Verse chapter 6 is taken up with God giving Moses more instruction on what he's supposed to do to, to lead the nation of Israel in preparation for their newfound freedom and what happens after, but in the end, God uses Moses, and he can use you too. Point number three, God used Moses to do great things despite his shortcomings. Right out of the gates in chapter seven, God is encouraging and building up Moses' confidence, some unique confidence today, for the task that he has Moses to represent him before Pharaoh. And look at verse one of Exodus seven. The Lord said, To Moses, see, 
I have made you like God to Pharaoh, and your brother Aaron shall be your prophet. He's highlighting and underlying that he has got it. Verse 6, Moses and Aaron did so. They did just as God commanded them. They did just as the Lord commanded them. They went to Pharaoh, and, and they specifically asked that God told them. And when Pharaoh's heart hardened, here come the plagues. But Moses finally did what God told him to do in full. And you may be thinking that whatever God has in front of you is just a small, insignificant thing. His mission in your life is not really that big of a deal. I want you to know that it is. I want you to know that Philippians chapter 1, verse 6 is for you. If you are a Christ follower, it's for you. When Paul says, I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus. Essentially, Moses had said to God, no way. You know what God said to Moses? Watch this. Watch this. And if you're here today or you're listening or you're watching and you have a situation in your life where you are like, there is no way, I want to encourage you, I want to encourage me to trust God because he's going to look at you and say, watch this. Watch what I do. When, God's, when we say no way, God says, watch this. And, of course, we know the rest of the story, as Paul Harvey used to say, that God used Moses to deliver the nation of Israel. This man who smelled like sheep, who saw smoke on this mount, this Mount Horeb. Can you imagine? Can you imagine walking around with sheep and seeing that? fire and the smoke and the voice of God coming out after that, I would have either run to it, as I said earlier, or I might have just like bolted the other way. And he couldn't speak, but God used him anyway. Listen, no matter how you feel about your skills, your abilities, or your experience, God is able to use you just as you are to do amazing things for him. But it's Christ in you. It's based on his power, not yours and not mine. And it's at that point when we finally throw the skis and the poles on our shoulder and say, I'm done, where God can use us in amazing ways. And no, I didn't put the skis back on and went down perfectly down the mountain because God did that. <laughs> But you know what? There have been a thousand times where I have been incredibly weak to use in, in terms of being used by him. And his power was made perfect. And he can do that for you. He can do it for all of us. Father, I thank you so much for Moses. I thank you that he was a man who had weakness. He had trouble. He had insecurities. There were times when, uh, God, he disobeyed you. There were times when he was reluctant to obey you. And Father, I thank you that we can learn from this, this amazing man who did amazing things for you, but he was just normal. And he viewed himself as even less than average. And you used him anyway. 
And Father, I pray that for us, that those things that we say to you, I can't, won't become, I won't. Father, those situations that you want us to speak up about, we just look at you and go, why me? Why did you choose me? But I can't talk. I'm not quick on my feet. I have this problem that, that you know I struggle with, God. What are people going to say? What, are my, what is my family going to say? What are my friends going to say? <laughs> Father, I pray that you would help us to realize that in those moments, that's when you want to show so much of your power in us. And right now, I just pray for the strongholds that are in this room. These things in our life that we just keep saying, I can't, I can't, I can't. God, we lay them at your feet right now. Father, I pray that you would bring them to mind. God, I pray that you would help us to, to realize that when we can't, that's when you set the stage to do the amazing thing. And you want to say, hey, I got this. Watch me. Help us to walk in obedience. Help us to do what you want us to do. And Father, I pray in the strong name of Jesus that you would use the people of Hilton Head Island Community Church in these small ways that are really big in your kingdom and maybe even some larger ways that are big in your kingdom. God, I pray that you would give us clarity on whatever that is. And right now that we would rely on you, Jesus, to be the one makes our weaknesses strengths. We trust in you, and we trust in the beautiful, beautiful name of Jesus. I pray this all in Jesus' name, and all God's people say.